You're listening to Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. It is Bick Nazar and Israel Fair today filling in for the boss. Uh, if you remember me, uh, I'm Bick. I haven't been on my own show in uh, three weeks. Filling in on other shows, doing the uh, afternoon drive last night with Sat. It, it, it's good to be back on at 1 o'clock and uh, always a blast to be joined with uh, Israel Fair. What's going on, man? Good to be here, dude. Yeah, welcome back. Uh, you know, I, you've been carousing yeah. about. Not, you know, you're, you're not in your responsibilities. You're letting C-Mac carry the load. But uh, I'm glad that you're here uh, to, to talk some, some, uh, some sports today. <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel like you've done my show more often than I have in the last three weeks. Uh, it's it's well I, I definitely yeah I've con- I've gone on with CMAC a couple times so I am yeah. doing a little bit more contributions because you're one of those guys you you isolate you know if you're not involved with Bick and the boss there's there's no Bick at all well so, yeah it's yeah, tough I I, I've been getting ripped every day by CMAC so I I haven't wanted to get involved in the show so, that's also uh, true yeah uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll be back together tomorrow though uh, me and the boss uh, but in the meantime uh, it is us if you want to get involved. 650, 650 is always on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladnor or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Bick and the Boss brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Uh, give yourself the Avenue advantage and stay under the cap by saving thousands on select Kubota skid steers and excavators. Visit AvenueMachinery.ca. So uh, Elise Patterson said some things today. <laughs> Uh, he did. He did. Yeah. And and look, good for him. Good for him for saying it, because uh, he was very honest. And what we always say is, you know, we prefer to play it when players be honest. It, it's easier for, for us to you know parse the the comments when they're honest rather than the typical, you know, uh, yeah, I just trying to give a hundred percent. Yeah, looking excited to next season, all that sort of stuff. So be honest. We're, we're here to talk about. Things honestly. It's not always about turning them negatively. Uh, but because he said some honest things, uh, he was asked by Ufe Bodin of Hockey Savadia uh, in Sweden uh, just about his contract and all the sort of stuff, how the negotiations going. And he did say, look, I leave it to my agents and all that sort of stuff. I'm not too worried about it. Both parties will need to be happy in order to find a solution. All that. And on the deal he type on, on the type of deal he'd prefer. Uh, he did say, I want to play for a team that's winning and has a chance to go far into the playoffs every year. I feel like we've got a chance to do that next year. If we have that chance when my next deal expires, I don't know. I just want to play where thing where there's a chance of winning. So, again, good for Elias Pettersson. But I do need Canucks fans to do an exercise for me. Do it right now if you're in the office working, if you're at home washing the dishes, or even if you're driving, you don't need to do too much. Or if you're even listening to the podcast, uh, which, by the way, go like and subscribe, rate the podcast, five-star reviews only. Here's the exercise. Just breathe. Inhale, exhale, breathe. I've used the phrase uh, a lot recently and because I thought everyone needed to hear it, and we're going to keep needing to hear it. Uh, let's act like you've been through a superstar negotiation before. Because if you're going to chip up over every quote, an angle that gets put out over the next five weeks leading up to training camp and when eventually he puts pen to paper, you're going to pull your hair out 
and wind up with less hair than me. And and look, I, I don't want that for you. So <laughs> let's 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 live in a world of like facts right now. Elias Pettersson can't go anywhere. Fact. Like I know his comment about where he is after his next contract ends is what everyone's got concerned. But in the here and now, Elias Pettersson will be a Vancouver Canuck. He's gonna sign a contract for the foreseeable future, so you can breathe there. He said he wants to play for a team that w- that that's winning, has a chance to go far in the playoffs, and he feels like we have a chance to do that next year. You can breathe there. He did go on to say if we have a chance when that deal expires, I don't know. I just want to play somewhere that has a chance of winning. Like, yeah, of course Elias Pettersson is playing in the NHL to win. He's not just doing it for our entertainment. He's doing it for money, glory, and, and the spirit of competition. That's what professional sports is. So you can – Breathe there. I, I I read the quote and look. I I, I think it's a, a level of accountability we're seeing now from star level athletes, and that's why I say good for him for preaching that and, and maintaining a certain standard. The expectation from your higher ups to say this is what we always have to be pursuing because I'm Elias Pettersson and I deserve to be in the playoffs every year. That's a good level of accountability that we're seeing from star players in all sports now. Is he? Absolutely. And look. I think the initial reaction comes in part from an, an old school view of, of how players are supposed to, to go about their business, but it, it, it's, it's not a truthful view. It's it. I mean, you look at, you know, the great captains and not that Patterson wears the C, but he's certainly the most important forward on the Canucks uh, on the roster right now. And if things go right on the roster for a long time, because he's got that kind of talent. Um, and, you know, you always hear the stories, oh, this is, I mean, we've seen it with Connor McDavid, right? He needs to bring his game to another level, and he signed long-term in Edmonton. So, like, it's not even a contract thing. That's just a, uh, an analysis of his game. But the Steve Eiserman comparison gets made. And, oh, you know, you have to be like Steve Eiserman. You have to learn how to play both ways. you got to stay in Detroit for 14 years before you win the Cup, and then all of a sudden uh, that you've, you get glory. Well, it, the game moves way faster now. We see that in other sports. And then you could look at Joe Sackick, who uh, – he signed elsewhere. <laughs> he was going to leave Colorado. And uh, eventually, you know, they, they were able to, to get a contract done. Stayed there, went in the Stanley Cup. Things are great. That's ultimately, you know, the math that gets changed. And we've seen it in sports a lot now. Guys are, are not going to be patient in tough situations. I mean, look, who's the big story in the offseason right now? It's Jack Eichel. Mm-hmm. He signed long-term. He committed himself contract-wise to Buffalo, and you, you can get into arguments about whether or not athletes owe it to a team that they've signed a contract to to stick it out. It doesn't matter if the contract's signed or not. But as you said, in this case, Patterson's going to be under team control for at least another four years. It's important to figure this out. It's important for a player like Patterson to feel valued. It's important for him to feel like the team is on the right path. And last year, was a, it was a step back in that regard. And when there are veteran players like JT Miller, who has been around in different environments, or Bo Horvat, who has only been in this environment for uh, almost the 10 years now, uh, it's understandable if they're frustrated for that frustration to pass on to Pedersen, who, if there's anything we know about him, outside of the outstanding skill that he has on the ice, uh, he has ferocious competitiveness to a point that it stands out a much amongst pro athletes that carry themselves that way. So this is not a surprise at all. And it, it does, 
you know, put an eye a little bit towards the importance of these negotiations. But as I just laid out, sometimes the contract doesn't really matter, and it's the actions that matter at the end of the day. I think the way you outline that is perfect, right? Like the, the contract and the term and the dollar figure, it's going to get sorted out at some point, right? Like training camp's coming up uh, you know, September 23rd, five, maybe six weeks away. My, my timeline might be a bit hazy there, but it's going to get sort, sorted out. And we're going to look at it and say, okay, yeah, that number makes sense. These are the benefits. These are the cons of this. We're going to do, we're, we're, we're going to have those conversations. But for what you said there of, hey, the actions of what the actual contract means, not the dollar figure and what that represents, but just getting that done and all the other things that Canucks management have to do to appease Elias Pettersson. It's not just about, hey, every two weeks, my check clears and I'm thrilled to be playing here. No, no, no. This is about appeasing that thirst for competition and players like Elias Pettersson, players that are at that level, it is about competition. It is about always striving for the honors, for the accolades, for the medals, for the cup in this scenario. You know, that's what their whole identity is built on. Elias Pettersson didn't just roll out of bed and say like, oh man, I'm really good at hockey. I guess I'll go play it. No, it's working at your craft and it's competing against other people and constantly improving to get better. That's ingrained in his own identity. That's just who he is. So I heard the comments today. I think it's great that he said it. It, it, it keeps that pressure up on uh, you know ownership and management, which is required uh, from from players at times. And, and let's be real, if we're talking about pressure, like if I'm Elias Pettersson, and I know the conversation gets morphed into, hey, he, he said, you know, when his deal expires, he wants to make sure he still has a chance of winning, and, and like that's what's important to him. And, and the concern always becomes, well, if Jim Benning's still around, is he still going to have that chance of winning? If I'm Elias Pettersson, Jim Benning isn't even a focus of mine. Elias Pettersson... If, if in the worst case scenario, Elias Pettersson is going to outlast Jim Benning professionally. And if Jim Benning succeeds, that means Elias Pettersson is succeeding. If Jim Benning fails, Elias Pettersson is still going to get paid and he's still going to be playing NHL hockey, most likely in Vancouver, because Jim Benning will be gone. Like, there's no downside. Like, so what? Uh, given where they are in their career timelines right now, they're not really tied together. They're only tied together if they succeed. We talked about who has uh, pressure on them right now in the organization. Elias Pettersson has pressure on them to perform because, hey, you're a star-level player and there's lots of investment in you. But that's typical pressure on him every year. That's pressure that he puts on on himself. It's not foreign to him. The outline of Pettersson's career isn't drawn up by this contract negotiation or these next 82 games. This next season might be the last season Jim Benning has as an NHL general manager. Like, that is pressure. That's real-life professional pressure. What Elias Pettersson is dealing with is is nothing comparison to, in comparison to that. Yeah, the contract for players matters in some instance. Uh, the way that it will, in the, you know, in the case of Jack Eichel, uh, he's got a lot of control over where he's going to end up. But you look at the reaction to young players that signed big money contracts, and what we've been hearing pretty consistently is that Pedersen is going to be shorter term. I mean, just look at the way that a player like Mitch Marner has gotten reactions to his games, his struggles in the playoffs. He signed a longer term contract at a big cap hit, and the pressure is there. But that's not what we're talking about with Pedersen. We're not talking about he's going to sign a contract because the Canucks fans are not 
they're not worried about what the cap hit's going to be, even if there are concerns maybe down the road that how are they going to be able to make some moves on the, the fringes of the roster because of some cap complications? Canucks fans are ready to sign up Elias Pettersson right now. So then it becomes, okay, well, what need, what's important to this player right now and what's important to Elias Pettersson right now is that the Canucks continue to improve, that they look closer to the team that they were in the NHL playoff bubble, and that there is the hope that in the short term, I don't think he's expecting to come next season, even though he, he probably has very high expectations for himself and his team. And I'm sure he's telling himself, look, I'm coming back to Vancouver and we're going to compete for the Stanley Cup. That's what every athlete does in that situation. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that that's you know, where the Canucks are at in terms of what they need to show him. If they're not a cup contender next year, he's not going to throw a fit and try to get traded like Jack Eichel. He wants them to continue to progress. And there are a bunch of other players in that room that feel the same way. And it's why, even though the fan base is also divided on some of the moves made in the offseason, there were a bunch of moves made. Uh, The team looks different, and they certainly feel better about their chances. We can quibble about, is that, you know, a a for sure playoff team in the Pacific? Is that a wild card team? Is that a bubble team? Uh, And Elias Pettersson is going to have a big say in that if he comes back and has a big season. Uh, 650, 650 text coming in already. Some for uh, don't at me, uh, which we'll get to in uh, about five minutes here. But yeah, uh, I, I, you know, see what you're saying there as far as uh, what Elias Patterson was talking about, and just you know the, the standard these players have is like this is their expectation, right? And the thing, the thing that Canuck, the Vancouver Canucks can't do is replicate what happened last offseason. You you can't do that one. I think that put a lot a, a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths of you know both players and fans alike of the the ambitions kind of dwindled. You try to match it up with hey hey this Nate Schmidt deal falls into your lap and okay we lose Markstrom and you, you try to bring Braden Holpe. You try to you know do a passable off season of. We think we're where we think we're improving, and they didn't. And I think if if you're a star level player, if, you know, basing on what Elias Pettersson said today, if you're approaching this as a player that wants to, that believes you are going to win a Stanley Cup and believes you're the reason your team wins Stanley Cups, and teams and franchises are built around you, you can't have a franchise's ambitions stall at any point. Even if it's minimal improvement, you have to continually show that there is improvement. There's like that, that's why this offseason was crucial because mm-hmm. as frustrated as Canucks fans were about last offseason, they had every reason to to have that that level of frustration. What really hurt within the business, within the game, within the game of the NHL is that other people noticed that it was noticed outside of Vancouver. And maybe part of that was because of the frustration on the fan base. And I think a lot of that is just on on people in the industry kind of looking around and, and being confounded by some of the moves. And when that starts to seep in, then that's that's where you get into trouble. Because uh, it's the same thing as, uh, and th- this may be cynical of me, but it's the same sort of argument about, uh, you know, what, what could the Canucks have done with Louis Erickson's contract? And, oh, if they don't treat him well, then the, the people that uh, that his agents represent, they're not going to be interested in Vancouver. And it's, it's a tough line to, to balance because ultimately this is a relationships business. 
the relationships between teams and players, the relationships between players and coaches, the relationships between players and their agents, agents and organizations, players and players, that has so much to do with the decisions that are being made. And while it's very easy for us to sit here and tell people, look, trust the process, Philadelphia 76ers, what ultimately backfired on Sam Hinkie and the Philadelphia 76ers in the NBA, when they collected a bunch of draft picks and they did ultimately end up with some good players, was they didn't have that that human touch, that relationship touch, and it, it burned a lot of bridges. We could argue, we could have a really good conversation about how much impact or how much a team should pay attention to that stuff and in, in the correlation that it has to winning. Like if a team went out there and they decided, I mean, the Vegas Golden Knights might be the best example. We're going to be really cold. We're going to be really calculated and we're going to try to win right away. They haven't gotten that Stanley Cup. So we can sit there and, and say, look, they are missing some elements of that. The Philadelphia 76ers might be missing some elements of that. Maybe the Canucks put too much stock in that. But that is what we're talking about in the, in the relationship business. And that's what Elias Pettersson is doing. He's, he's putting his, his expectations out there. He's putting his ambition, his desire out there for what he wants to accomplish as a player. He's been doing that since day one in Vancouver. And, and that's, that shouldn't change because uh, I believe that it's a big part of what makes him such a, a, a phenomenal player beyond the obvious physical skills. So a while ago, I want to say about a month and a half ago, um, C-Mac and I were doing the show, and, and I, I quibbled over something Jim Benning said about you know building a winning culture and all this sort of stuff. And my point was, you know, Jim Benning can't really sell the idea of winning culture because he isn't one in Vancouver. So how do you sell the idea of winning culture? And for what you're talking good, about there, the human <laughs> for what you're talking about there is like the human touch, right? One of the things that you know speaks out in this of, of people saying, hey, why why doesn't Elias Pettersson just sign his contract or take a pay cut? If you're going to do those, you're, you're doing those for reasons of that human touch element, of loyalty. And one of the things the Vancouver Canucks can't sell right now is loyalty, especially you're a season removed from jettisoning Troy Stetcher, Chris Tanev, Jacob Markstrom. You can't ask other people to be loyal to you when you haven't been loyal yourself. And think of all the other people that have exited the organization as well, from the executive level, then you see Alex Edler leave as well this offseason. Like, that's happened, and if you want Elias Pettersson to make concessions to say, hey, I'll just sign the contract now, out of the sake of loyalty, you like loyalty has to be a two-way street in this scenario, and that hasn't been extended to the rest of the players in this, in, in this current environment. Absolutely. And that's, that's where it gets tricky. And that's where it, it puts the organization in a, in a tough spot to make moves to keep people happy, but also keep in mind the salary cap, keep in line their own bottom line, uh, making short-term moves that are going to backfire long-term, that stuff. I mean, that's why people like Jim Benning are, are in their position because they have, to, they have to weigh all of that. And, you know, fortunately for us, we, we can sit here and pick it apart. And I think often we're right. Sometimes we're not. But in this case, look, it's, 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 a, it's a very good young player who has come up in, in a different era, uh, who's not afraid to speak his mind. And uh, look, if, if I was a Canucks fan in this spot, I'd, I'd be pretty fired up to hear, like, like you are, Vic, that this is, this is his mindset. And while it would be comforting to hear, um, <laughs> I want to make things work in Vancouver. Uh, I, I want to win here. You know, a lot of times athletes say that, and it doesn't really mean anything ultimately. Mm -hmm. uh, it actually leads in perfectly to my uh, don't at me. It's 120. So we'll get to your thoughts as well here on don't at me. Your takes uninterrupted. Don't at me. Text in your submissions to 650-650. Don't at me. I said what I said. 
650 with your submissions. Don't at me. Today was the first step Elias Patterson took to becoming the leader. This was awesome. I thought uh, that's, you know, honest accountability. It, it was all on display for Elias Patterson. And one of the reasons I thought, hey, a good thing that they've jettisoned some old voices to bring to, to allow the space for Quinn Hughes and Elias Patterson to take over and and lead the locker room. Well, today was a good a good start of it. Uh, six fifty, six fifty, a lot coming in. Uh, you uh, do you got to donate me? I do. Uh, I'll, I'll, we we don't have to unpack it right now, but uh, don't at me. I don't know if you saw Vic, but the Seattle Mariners unveiled a new statue outside of uh, T-Mobile Park in yep. Seattle. Edgar Martinez. It looks. Beautiful. Don't at me. Baseball statues are by far the best sports statues uh, that, that that we've got going right now. They they blow out the, the football statues, hockey statues, basketball statues, you name it. Baseball statues are beautiful. Don't at me. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Okay. You know what? Let's put a pin on that. We'll, we'll unpack that later. We have Ben Wagner coming up at 2 o'clock, so we'll unpack that with him uh, as well. But that's pretty good. Uh, and, and by the way, Brendan Batcher is going to be joining us as well at 1.30. Let's jump into the 650-650 text message inbox with your don't at me. This was very predictable. I probably shouldn't have said anything about my uh, my own hair, though. Uh, don't at me. The top trending Google search right now in BC is Bix hair, Kyle from the island. Just Just ruthless. First day back, and I'm just getting cut up. Unlike my hair. Oh, see, I, sh I shouldn't, shouldn't do this. Shouldn't do this. You're doing it to yourself, man. <laughs> uh, don't at me. Uh, this one unsigned. Patterson will leave the Canucks before Benning is fired. It's, it's like if they fail this season, it, it might be over for Jim Benning. And Patterson's going to be with the Vancouver Canucks. So I am adding you. That's, that's not a good don't at me. There's two phenomenal don't at me's in, in the text box uh, in relation to the statues. Uh, these are two I know that, that you're familiar with. Uh, don't at me, the Cristiano Ronaldo bus is the best statue. Um, that one is... Uh... It's, it's so bad, come on. <laughs> and then the, no statue beats out don't at me, James Corden's Beckham statue. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> another uh, real rough-looking statue for, for two yeah. guys that uh, don't, don't look like what the, their statues make them out to be. But, you know, that's a – like, that one was a prank. <laughs> no, that was intended to be bad, so that's yes. fine. Uh, don't at me. This one's just coming in. You guys make Pedersen out to be better than he is. Is that a fair comment? Like, I, I you know, look, hey, we're, we're here to be uh, criticized. I, I get it. Um, I, I guess the feeling for the texter is what's the level – you feel Elias Pettersson is. Is he a top 20 player, a top 25, top 40 player in the NHL? Because uh, for me, I I'm hovering more around uh, like 15 to 23 in and around that range right now with with, with potential to move upwards uh, moving forward. Yeah, the ups it's the upside that's there. Uh, yeah. And I mean, look, we it wasn't just people in Vancouver. I think it's normal that there's probably a bias, even if it's just – from you and I having seen him play a lot and going, okay, we know his tendencies really well. He's he's just been such an impactful part of the team since he's been in Vancouver. But I mean, like people like Elliot Friedman were citing him as a sleeper heart contender heading into the season. So there's 
there's going to be some blowback until the team wins. I understand that. But I, I, he's a guy that, at least from everything that I've seen, I'm willing to bet on uh, in a way that, that there are very few players that, that I would take ahead of him. Uh, don't at me. Uh, this one's from Minor Matt in Abbotsford. Uh, the reason Bick takes so many days off without a care in the world is because he's the heir to the Bick Razor and Pen Fortune. No, no, not quite. Wrong spelling. I don't have any claim uh, to those ones as well. Uh, and uh, last one here. Uh, don't at me. Uh, thank you. Uh, okay, this is a good one. PSG won't win the Champions League anytime soon. Now, All the that, talent. That's, that's pressure. That's expectations. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> actually, I'll, I'll read this one, this last one. Uh, don't at me. Elias Pettersson from Adam, the former bath guy. Elias Pettersson could have said he loves beef, and fans would say there's cows in Alberta. He wants to sign in Edmonton or Calgary. <laughs> uh, keep the thoughts coming in. We'll throw them by Brendan Batchelor, the voice of the Canucks, here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, your thoughts as well, 650, 650. Uh, here on Bick and the Boss, Bick is our Israel Fair filling in today on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. Bick and the Boss. Uh, sans Boss, though. Uh, we've been doing this for a while. Me and C-Mac have yet to do a show for, uh, I, I want to say it's July 23rd as the last time we did a show together. Uh, but we'll be back together tomorrow, Vic and the boss. Israel Fair filling in for uh, C-Mac today. And Bic in the Bic and the boss is uh, brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Does your team need reliable construction equipment? Save thousands on Kubota excavators, skid steers, and loaders. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. Uh, some thoughts coming in. Because we did ask, hey, how many of... Uh, where do you pose Elias Pettersson right now in the NHL landscape? Is he a top 10, top 20, top 30? Uh, now, the original texter, I don't think, has uh, replied back. But somebody did say, uh, I also think Pettersson has a lot to prove. Maybe only a top 60 player right now. That's That, I think, is a bit too harsh as far as uh, uh, grading and evaluating Elias Pettersson. Uh, to me, I, I think... You know, his, his game is understated. It doesn't come through on necessarily points and assists. It's it's about you know being on top of the play, controlling possession, controlling the tempo of the game. Uh, top sixty is a bit too flagrant for me. Yeah, that's deep. Um, I I get why why certain segments of the fan base have questions, and that's that's honestly the the real question we can talk about is comments. We can talk about the cap and all that kind of stuff. But uh, the long-term future of this team, you know, his continued ascension is going to come down to you. Where does he slot? Is, you know, is, can he be a top five, a top 10 player on a consistent level? He, to me, he's shown all the, the traits, the attributes. Uh, he's got the personality to, to make that jump and to, to make that push. But there, it's fair that, that there is a bit, that there is a bit of a range though. I mean, 60 is 60's, 60's pushing it. I think he's shown enough in, in three seasons that, that uh, he's, he's above 60 just based on, I mean, what you said, Vic. There's the two-way play. Uh, there's certainly the power play component when the Canucks power play is good, and we've mm-hmm. seen them with him as the primary weapon on the unit have a top five unit in the NHL. 
that's that's such a difference maker in the game today. I mean, we see Tampa Bay Lightning win win back to back Stanley Cups. Incredible special teams, amazing power play. Uh, Pedersen is you know he's not Kucherov. He doesn't play like Kucherov, but he can be the best player on an elite power play, and that lofts him to a level that, to be honest, there aren't there aren't a ton of guys on that list. You know, we can argue the overall list, top fifty, top twenty, whatever. But if you put that power play component, that that's something that I would keep in mind. Uh, let's throw this by Brendan Batchelor. I do want to get his thoughts on uh, what Pedersen had to say. But, uh, Batch, we were talking about what PD had to say, and uh, some people uh, got at us saying uh, we were overrating and, and, and overhyping what Elias Pedersen is. Uh, so just slot him somewhere in the NHL. What is he, a top 20, 30, 15, 50? What is he to you? Hmm, that's an interesting Definitely top 50. Um, these lists are always harder to do because you would mm-hmm. think that, or harder to do than you would think because, you know, you'll think, oh, you know, Pedersen, you know, number one center, scoring forward, Canucks best player. Sure, he's got to be a top 10 player in the league. And then you start listing players and you go, okay, well, maybe he's top 20. And then you keep listing players. Okay, well, maybe it's 30. So, you know, without actually going through the exercise of writing all these guys down, I, I don't necessarily know exactly where I would slot him. Probably probably in the top 30 is where I would look at Elias Pettersson, uh, just, just purely based on guessing where he would end up slotting in without actually, you know, going through all the rosters and combing through all the top players and trying to rank them. Well, part of the discussion, and I mean, we're getting a bunch of feedback on this on, on the text line batch is, you know, people are saying top 60, he's top 10 in talent, top 30 in overall gameplay. Uh, another text, you know, top 15 in the league. And, and the justification is that uh, any any team in the league would, would sell the farm for him, uh, you know. So it's it's interesting to see the reaction that people have. And, and I think that one of the criticisms that's come in is that he's he's battled some injuries. He's, he's missed some time during his career. But, I mean, if, if I'm evaluating a player uh, and, it, you know, you've seen pretty much every game that he's played in his career mm-hmm. with the Canucks, uh, we have at least the, the ability to, to, to know that some of those injuries were bad luck. Uh, it's not like this. I, I think that if, if people are, are saying that he's not a top, let's say, 25 player because of injury concerns, that that's a little bit overblown. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, certainly... Um... The injury last year cost him, you know, more than half of the shortened season, I guess it was. And he had a slow start to the year, too, um, which, you know, could be cause for concern as well. But I've seen enough from Elias Pettersson. I've seen enough, you know, elite-level plays, goals, you know, chances created, uh, even back checks and smart defensive plays that, um, you know, injuries could play a factor in his career as they could play a factor in any player's career, but I don't see him uh, as as someone that is, you know, deserving of the label of, of being injury-prone just yet, just because in his first few years in the league, he's had a couple of injuries, he's had a couple of down stretches uh, in his play. No, I, you know, to me, that, that shouldn't come into the conversation here. Uh, unless we're talking about, you know, at the end of his coming season, he misses another large sum because of a, a similar injury to the, the hyperextended wrist that he's just coming off of now or, or something like that. But, you know, I, I, I don't think that that is, is – I agree with you, Izzy. I don't think that's something that you should use to 
lower his ranking as one of the top players in the league. Uh, we'll we'll wrap that up on this. Uh, Matt and Surrey texting in. I think Petey is top thirty at best. Calling him top ten isn't really fair to him. I believe he's going to get paid beyond his ability. But on this team, point wise, I don't think he's a lock to lead the team in scoring with Horvat, Miller, and Bester. So we'll wrap it up there. Uh, but we did want to get you on to talk about what Elias Pettersson uh, had to say today. Uh, speaking to Ufe Bodine uh, with Hockey Sveria, he did say. Uh, I want to stay in Vancouver. I also want to play for a team that's winning uh, and has the chance to go far in the playoffs every year. I feel like we've got that chance to do that next year. If we have that chance when my next contract expires, I don't know. Just want to play where there's a chance of winning. Uh, What did you make of what what Elias Pettersson had to say? It doesn't surprise me at all. And I think, you know, some of the the reaction to it is, is a bit overblown in the sense that um, you know, I've had a chance to interview Elias Pettersson and be in scrums that, that he's, you know, conducted probably hundreds of times at this point. This is a guy that speaks his mind. He says exactly what he thinks. And uh, I, I don't think there's any ulterior motive here. I don't think he's, you know, trying to, you know, fire a subtle shot at Canucks management or anything like that. I think he's just being honest and saying, look, I'm excited about the team we have right now. Uh, you know, I'm excited to get a contract signed and come back. I think we can have a good year and, and win this year. But, you know, who knows what the future holds? And, and that's, you know, true of, of anything in life. We've, you know, especially coming out of a pandemic, who knows where we're going to be three, four years from now, you know, as a society, let alone, you know, the Vancouver Canucks as a hockey team. So, uh, you know, that part of it, I, 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 I don't read too much into. And, you know, from watching the way he plays and, you know, watching sort of the, the fiery passion he has, to me it's not at all surprising for him to say that he wants to go and, and play on a winning team. Now, um, you know, the Canucks certainly have a chance to be that in the next few years. If things go well, their young players should continue to develop and grow, and Pedersen has to be a huge part of that. But, um, you know, to me getting worried about a potential – situation where Elias Pettersson could walk in free agency in a number of years from now um, is not how I would be spending a sunny day in early August (laughs) if it was was me. Let's put it that way. Batch, you've been around the Canucks for a number of years now. Prior to that, you know, you were in in the junior hockey scene. You also follow other sports outside of hockey. Pettersson, I think, is one of the leading examples of some of the change in, in the way that the players use their voice in the NHL and some of the leverage that they have. But how do you, how have you observed that change over the last five or six years of younger players or players in general being a little bit more comfortable speaking their mind and, and understanding sort of the value that they have to their teams long term? Yeah, well, we've seen it a lot more in other sports and the NHL is catching up right now. You know, you look at the NBA and um, you know, the players have a lot of power and speak their minds all the time. And, you know, you know, Elias Pettersson saying something like this in the NBA, that's just a, you know, a, a ho-hum Tuesday afternoon. Um, but that said, you know, we are seeing with the growth of, of the sport of hockey and, and in other sports, too, that players are becoming more powerful brands than the teams they play for in many cases, you know. You know, you look at international soccer, there are people who are fans of Cristiano Ronaldo who, you know, cheer for Juventus if he's playing for Juventus, cheer for Real Madrid if he's playing for Real Madrid. You know, I think we're going to see Paris Saint-Germain 
have a, a large number of fans that are more interested in them now because Leo Messi is going there, and you know certainly they already have Neymar and Mbappe, so they're already a uh, you know a powerful team in in world soccer. But you know the point is that that more so than ever before, it's the personalities and the players that people are interested in, and you know the the personal brand of those guys and learning more about them off the ice and you know we've seen that with Pedersen expressing his fashion sense uh, and and people getting behind that and uh you know you look at some of the top athletes in the world on social media and they have more followers than the teams they play for so you know it it doesn't surprise me that that is now starting to trickle through to the NHL and um although hockey you know traditionally is a sport where the players aren't quite as outspoken uh, and are more humble and just want to talk about the team. Uh, you know, the, that those days may be changing to a certain extent uh, with, you know, the, the growth of player power in sports in general. And, and certainly we're seeing that in the NHL and guys like Pedersen and you know, Connor McDavid or the top players in the NHL, um, you know, are, are going to have more of that power going forward. Brandon Bachelor, voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on Sportsnet 650, uh, joining Bick and the boss, Israel Fair, filling in for Craig McEwen. Uh, okay, so the other part of what he said, too, is, and, and the reason I wasn't as alarmed is he did say, I feel we're going to have a chance to do that next year as far as competing in the playoffs and a chance to go far in the playoffs. We've seen some of the moves go down, obviously. The team is pretty much set. We're just waiting for the last comp- couple of contracts to, to roll in for the Vancouver Canucks. Is Elias Pettersson fair in that comment that he believes that uh, this team can go far, or is that lip service of just uh, believing in the team kind of thing? No, I... I... I think he believes it, and it, you know, I think the guys in that room believe it, based you know mainly on what they accomplished a couple of years ago in the bubble, and certainly last year was not a good season for them. Many things went wrong. They didn't play well as a team. Uh, they had the COVID outbreak. Pedersen was injured for most of the season and didn't have a good start. Um, so you know they're coming off of that experience, but they do still have many of the core pieces that helped them get to Game Seven of the second round in the bubble and the players in that dressing room will understand the, you know, particularly the addition of Connor Garland and how that can help this team score more goals and create more forward depth and, and hopefully win more games. But also, um, you know, within that dressing room, you know, from, from everything I'm hearing, there's a lot of excitement about the addition of a guy like Oliver Ekman Larson, who, you know, publicly there's been a lot of talk about the contract and about his play, um, you know, decreasing to a certain extent over the last few years. But uh, from the guys in that room that have played against him, they're excited to have him as a teammate and, and they think he can help them win games. So, um, you know, whether you know our listeners or the public agree about the Canucks having a chance to, you know, be a winning team this year or, or push to uh, extend a run deeper into the playoffs uh, is one thing, but I, I do think the guys in that dressing room believe that they have a group in place now that does give them a chance to win games, to get into the playoffs, and to try to push even further than that. We're obviously not too far removed from the lotto line being among the best lines in the NHL. Last year, obviously, Pedersen missed a bunch of time, some ups and downs for JT Miller. But, I mean, you mentioned Garland. Uh, Hoaglander comes in, has a really nice rookie season. There's expectations for Vasily Putkolzin. Where do you think that, at least at the start of the season, 
the players that will be lining up with Pedersen? Because uh, obviously, you know, it, it could change very drastically. But what, what do you, where do you think Travis Green, the coaching staff, have in mind for him to avoid that slow start that he had last year? Yeah, I, I think it will change very drastically. Uh, you know, even through training camp, we often see you know Travis Green tweak his lines. Uh, from day one to day two of practice, and then you get into the exhibition games and things change there as well. And then on night one of the regular season, the lineup may not look anything like you thought it would. Um, But it does seem like uh, the Canucks are intrigued with the possibility of continuing to play JT Miller down the middle. So uh, I don't know how they'll start, uh, but I would expect that at times we see the lotto line, and at times we see JT Miller move to the middle uh, to try and create some scoring depth because that really is something the Canucks have lacked, you know, through Travis Green's entire tenure as the head coach is a, a third line that helps them produce an offense and drives play. And, you know, JT Miller performed admirably playing down the middle last season. And, and I think the coaching staff believes that as well. So if they can, you know, create a scenario where that top line doesn't lose anything by Miller being moved off it, and you create essentially a third scoring line so that teams have to decide are they going to match up against Pedersen or Horvat or Miller, then you know I, I could certainly understand why they would want to explore that possibility because it, it does lead you to believe that there would be at least one line on every night that isn't playing against a primary matchup and has a chance to really produce some offense that said i i do think you know the canucks best line that they can put together is that lotto line so we may see travis green do something similar to what we've seen coaches in edmonton over the last few years do which is that you know at times mcdavid and dreisaitl are on different lines at times they're on the same line and you kind of in games, let's say, where you don't have them on the same line, you have it as, you know, an extra weapon that you could go to if you need a goal that, you know, you, you double shift McDavid or you throw Dreisaitl out with McDavid for an extra shift at some point in the game to try and get a goal that you need. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Miller's deployment ends up being somewhat similar to that in games where he's not playing on the lotto line regularly. Uh, Batch, uh, before we let you go, uh, we did Don't At Me about uh, 20 minutes ago, and uh, Izzy said something that uh, I I thought was really interesting. He said, uh, baseball statues have the best statues for any sport. Edgar Martinez got his statue today, and I was just kind of thinking of good hockey statues, and I couldn't really think of anything. Is that a... uh, The Bobby Orr one in Boston jumps to mind as being a a pretty good statue. Look, it's it, it's a great moment, but it looks kind of weird because like the his legs attached to the, the 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 ice and you know the way you can do a sculpture is you, you have certain limitations. But does it look good? Yeah, yeah, I guess that's a good point. Uh, soccer can't be put in that conversation after that Cristiano Ronaldo bust from a <laughs> few years ago that didn't even look like him. Uh, I think basketball has some good ones too. Like I'm trying to think, they they have a bunch of different. Uh, statues outside Staples Center in LA. Uh, There's a really good Magic Johnson one out, out outside of Staples. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. But, um, you know, thinking to, to some of the, the baseball statues that, that you see around outside, you know, many baseball stadiums in the States, and uh, I tend to agree with Izzy, actually. Izzy, good take, man, good take. Hey, uh, uh, what's happening on Saturday, Man United winning? 
Of course they are. Come on. They're they're winning every match this year. They're going undefeated and taking the title in the <laughs> Champions League and the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup. That's how we do it. Uh, I'm excited, man. Are you? Because you and I are going to see each other on on Saturday. It, it, it's our guy Canberra's uh, uh, bachelor party. Uh, are you going to do the same thing I am? Wake up early at like 4:30 and then still try to power through the rest of the day? Uh, to be determined, based on the fact that I still have an infant daughter. So if she sleeps well, then maybe I'll get up at 4:30. And if she doesn't, then I might Fair have enough. to sleep in and uh, watch it when I wake up. Fair enough. Well, thanks a lot, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Thanks, Batch. That's Brendan Bachelor joining us, uh, voice of the Vancouver Canucks, at Batch Hockey on Twitter, which you can follow him. Do Arsenal play on Saturday, or are they uh, a, a Sunday Friday, match? actually. Friday? Why are they kicking yeah. off the league? Brentford, baby. Let's go. Oh, the, uh, the, the the new arrivals. I like the Brentford Bees. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I have no idea why, but uh, that is that is correct. Arsenal kicks the season off. Nice for the uh, the English FA to ease Brentford in into the EPL. Okay, buddy. All <laughs> right. Uh, we'll get to more of your thoughts. Lots coming in here. Then we'll talk to uh, Ben Wagner as well. Tee it up the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, they are uh, kind of streaking, uh, you know, s- split yesterday. But uh, can they make this chase interesting for the wild card or even the AL East. We'll talk to Ben Wagner coming up here uh, in just a minute on Bick and the Boss here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Now back to Bick and the Boss on the official home of the Canucks. Tiki Pete comes out of the box and puts the puck into the back of the net. Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. Bick Nazar, Israel Fair in today for Craig McEwen. It's Bick and the boss. And you. Your reaction. 650-650. Text message inbox. Still reacting to uh, a lively discussion for the past hour. What Elias Pedersen had to say to Ufe Bodine and Hockey Severia uh, in his comments. Uh, Ross and Mission says, I think it's a message to ownership, not management. Uh, I think it's just a message to everyone above the playing staff. If you're a coach, if you're a manager, if you're an owner, if you're an exec, whatever it is, hopefully the message was heard. And that's why I like that level of accountability. Yeah, he's honest, but hey. You know, the meal ticket, because everything revolves around what happens on the ice, right? It, it, wins will solve everything for the Vancouver Canucks. And Elias Pettersson is everyone's meal ticket right now. Quinn Hughes is in this conversation. Thatcher Demko's in that conversation, too. The core players, they are the entire franchise's meal ticket. And they they need to be supported also. And And that, to me, is a big part of it. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to do some Jays here in a bit, but one... One thing that from our interview with Brendan Batchelor that sticks out is that Pedersen, since he got to Vancouver, has spoken his mind. He mm-hmm. is speaking from the heart. And while we can sit here and parse the meaning or the, the you know, the, the destination for what he was trying to say, you know, who is he targeting this at? Is it management? Is it ownership? Uh, I think he just, and I've interviewed him a handful of times as well, he takes these queries, you know, very, he, he takes them pretty deeply. 
And I don't think even if there is part of this that is leverage in contract negotiations or anything like that, I think when he answers questions like this, he is answering it as honestly as he can. And he's not necessarily, he doesn't necessarily have a target for this, but he has his expectations and his ambitions. And that that's where it's coming from. It's coming from that place. It's not coming from, you know, it's, it's an, if we're, if we're going to have a conversation about intent, I don't think this is him going out there and having the intent to, I need to shake things up. I need to send a message. No, this is simply him saying what he wants. And if the people are listening and, and they value keeping him around and giving him what he wants, then they'll respond in kind, but it's not a threat. No, of course not. Yeah, you know, the, the you know reading the quote, you kind of lose a little bit. Obviously, you know, this doesn't come across as like Denzel Washington pointing at a table, banging and, and demanding order or something like that. It, it, it's You kind of know the way Elias Pedersen speaks. We've all seen post-game press conferences or post-game scrums and, and heard the audio. You know, there is... Uh, 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 the way and, and the tone in which he speaks, and and I kind of just heard it the way he he normally is. Yeah, it's it's a driven, ambitious player who, who's got very specific thoughts on what he wants out of his career. That's it. That's it. Uh, we'll get to more of your thoughts. Maybe do some open boards on the other side here at uh, on two thirty. But uh, right now we will talk to our guy Ben Wagner joining us. Uh, hopefully, Ben, uh, you're, you're staying up for these late night games, uh, West Coast. Uh, road swing for the Jays right now. How are these late night doings for you? Uh, I adjust very, very well. Anytime that I get to see <laughs> baseball, whether it's in any time zone, if my one one goal or one task of the day is to call Major League Baseball, trust me, I am I'm geared up for it. No matter how late or early I have to rise. Uh, so they uh, started up yesterday, uh, splitting. Uh, but you know, it, it, it's really interesting to see where this team is is trending right now because. I feel like that wild card race is just wide open for them, and there's still a lot of runway for them to uh, make this a, a really competitive race. And like, part of me really just kind of looks at this and thinks they might top that that whole group. You know, chasing down the A's, Boston, and New York is going to be a task. But I, I kind of I'm sitting here expecting that at the end of September, uh, the or the start of October, the Jays are going to be atop the the AL wild card. Well, if you talk to anybody around the Blue Jays over the last couple of weeks, they certainly feel that way, especially with adding to the rotation and bringing in a frontline starter like Jose Barrios. The improved and now still consistent additions that they've had outside Brad Hand, you know, everybody that they brought into the bullpen has been very good. I think they're going to get it stronger within the maybe by the end of the road trip when Joaquin Soria gets back and active for the Blue Jays. So everything is trending in the right way. You've got guys in the lineup that obviously are incredible talent and have yet to even maximize their potential as a unit right now you've got the four all-stars you know that even though vladdy is slumping currently over the last week plus uh bo bichette has picked it up marcus simeon is a doubles machine teoscar hernandez has got it cranking again and then george springer who wasn't in in that that quad of all-star nod players is playing like an elite all-star right now coming out of the all-star break and uh, he's, you know, at the top of that lineup, he's going to get an extra bat and some big opportunities. And that's a good sign for the Blue Jays. And again, I still feel that this offense has not maximized its potential. I still think the Blue Jays have the ability to rattle off 12 out of 15, maybe 20 out of 25, and really make things very, very interesting with their schedule now. Remember the schedule. A lot of outside the division games, 
plus then head-to-head against the Oakland Athletics. Uh, a lot of games still left against the New York Yankees and uh, can really make a good run at this and a less than uh, you know, potent, potent in terms of streaks of schedule remaining last six, seven weeks. We've seen this team overcome its pitching because of the lineup, but the pitching has improved, obviously, adding Jose Barrios in the rotation is going to make a big difference. But, I mean, you mentioned a couple of the other names that have been added to the bullpen. There seems to be a little bit more stability when it comes to the pitching staff overall. What have you seen over the last couple of weeks in terms of the way that the, the pitching staff has responded to, to where the Blue Jays are at in this, in this pennant race? Well, the, the pitching staff first and foremost starts with the starters, and even even in the new way of doing things across baseball with openers or only allowing a guy to see a lineup two times through, the Blue Jays have gotten consistency and recently added depth, uh, average starting pitching depth going six innings, which is tremendous. That lessens the load, ask of the bullpen, which is always great, and you've got guys that have done it a lot before and a traditional sense, but also even the rookie and Alec Manoa who throws tonight against the angels hasn't had his best stuff after a three week layoff. You know, the velocity has been down a couple of ticks, doesn't have the wipeout slider action, but he's a gamer and he's been a bulldog on the mound. And he weren't really sure how the rookie would fight through this kind of adversity. And he's come away with bells and whistles, you know, not only competing, putting the blue Jays in a position to win, but going through seven innings and doesn't get knocked around the ballpark and hardly has innings of duress. So that's a really big sign that even the guys that you have question marks about, uh, like a rookie going into this, this stretch drive that the Blue Jays are in, they haven't teetered. And you're getting consistent starting pitching dominance from Robbie Ray. Hinjun Ryu had a clunker. Uh, that, you know He'd even admit that. It was a clunker his last time out. But uh, you saw signs of the changeup coming back. And if that changeup works, Hyunjun Ryu will work for whoever is involved. So there's a lot of positivity around the Blue Jays and the pitching staff. And uh, even with the question now with Ross Stripling going down on injury, they've still got five guys that they can rely on. If Steven Matz can go out there and just, just provide you some consistent starts. Uh, you mentioned Manoa there. Obviously, fans in Vancouver are a bit familiar with him as well, um, with his time with the Seas. Uh, you know, how do you feel like his season is is trying to, especially with these last couple of starts uh, versus the Red Sox and the Royals as well? And and, and how do you expect to see him fare tonight? Uh, how does Manoa fare tonight off the heat yeah, the Red did, Sox and the Royals? Yeah. Oh, I, you know what? This Angel lineup is just it's not nearly as strong as what it was at the beginning of the year. Los Angeles is right now uh, a fledgling 500 team. You know, their pitching has actually uh, helped out things. And it's a, it's a shame because you lost Mike Trout, you lost Anthony Rendon. You haven't had Dexter Fowler since the first week of the season. I mean, those are three significant players. Uh, one defensively. <laughs> I mean, they're going to change games around with the, all three of those guys can do defensively, but clearly then with the bat at the same time. So, you know, Manoa is going to see a couple of guys that have been journeymen, a couple of guys that are, you know, kind of making a splash on the scene with the Angels, trying to figure out where they are. And there's really just a couple of threats. You know, David Fletcher's a world-class hitter right now, and he might win uh, the hit the hit crown, uh, depending on how Cedric Mullins plays in Baltimore. And then Shohei Otani, to me, is the most exciting player in Major League Baseball right now with what he has been able to do. And we're going to get to see both of it. You know, he's been the DH both games of that doubleheader yesterday. He's got incredible power, got a big bat late in the ball game, And, uh, you know, Jordan Romano, 
wiped them away. And, um, and this lineup to me, you know, is, is a nice test, but it's not an ultimate test like going into New York for, for Alec Manoa. George Springer's he's been on a tear, as you mentioned, Ben, um, the expectations for him were high. Uh, the start of the season certainly didn't go the way that he wanted, the team wanted, the fan base wanted. But since when he's played, he's been incredible for this team. He's had a great pedigree with the Astros. But has anything specifically about his play impressed you in particular or stood out to you as, as we've been able to watch him play a, a string of games here for the Blue Jays? Yeah, two things. Uh, he's a much better base runner than I was aware of. You know, just watch him in the last three years with the Astros and uh, his ability to run the bases, you don't get a really true sense of how good somebody is and their instincts on the field uh, until you get to watch them play every day, or at least they're in the division and you get to see them 19 times. <laughs> and sometimes guys like Mookie Betts become really, really frustrating. <laughs> uh, you know, when they're that good, uh, fortunately for George Springer, putting his, the eye test on him, I've been really impressed with how he runs the bases. He, he has I mean, really good speed, but also just a knack of how he cuts the bases, gets good reads. And that speed, those cuts, that explosiveness also translates into the outfield. You know, he had a massive day on Sunday against the Boston Red Sox, including the three-run home run uh, that, that will be the highlight, you know, of the homestand at the same time where the Blue Jays took three out of four on the back of George Springer in that one swing. But defensively, he was tremendous. Uh, he got great jumps to the right, to the left, and back, and ran down balls. That could have been one extra base hit, but also then saved runs by making those catches. So those are two things. Until you watch uh, a player come into a lineup and make an impact like George, that's what you walk away appreciating. Uh, it, and all the offensive stuff is true, and the expectations that we had for George Springer and you know, and all the fanfare after his, his big deal that he signed as a free agent coming to Toronto, we're obviously witnessing that on top of it. You know, there was so much conversation when he did sign of, hey, where's, you know, where are these guys going to slot in the lineup? Now we're at this stage of the season, you know, I, I, I kind of like the way it's setting up with Bichette sitting in that fourth spot, and it, it feels like they're kind of optimizing the way these guys and, and each individual traits, because you're talking about you know having Springer as, as as base running. Well, there he is leading off. Yeah, he's hitting for power too. But you get Vladdy behind him, and, and the way it's set up right now in that top four, it, it just the, this team has really kind of rounded it out as they've waited for Springer to get back in the lineup. Yeah, and don't forget the top five because Teoscar Hernandez right mm-hmm. there is is crafting an unbelievable season, and because you've got MVP chance for Vladimir Guerrero Jr., George Springer doing what he's doing uh, again. Uh, an all-career year for Marcus Simeon in what he's putting together. Teoscar kind of gets left on the fringes here. And the top five of the Blue Jays is designed specifically, especially now, to maximize opportunity for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. you got Springer, who's going to eventually come around in the eighth or ninth inning. you know, And that's where you want your best bats coming around late in a ballgame, especially if it's tight for that extra A-B to produce. And you know you got to pitch to Springer, and he's going to be aggressive. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is waiting right behind him. And then you have such a veteran at bat, night in and night out, from Marcus Simeon. You know, you might as well roll the dice at times with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., even though he's cooled off, because Marcus Simeon is going to battle. He's going to be in that batter's box, and he's going to battle. And if he gets on, watch out. Now there's even more trouble because Bo, who's playing with his hair on fire still, even not at 100%, you know, he's in the batter's box getting some good rips. 
and and still able to change the game with the bats. And then there's no let up because Teoscar Hernandez is there. And and guess what? Depending on the night, uh, Lourdes Goriel Jr. will have his flashes too. So it's a really really deep lineup that is put together with with a lot of care, to be honest. And I know a lot of people raise questions why George Springer came back and he wasn't in the leadoff spot. Well, George Springer needed at-bats, you know, and you didn't want to overexpose a guy and hurt the ball club. So you get him three or four at-bats every night in that number five spot. Then magically, guess what? He gets about 75, 95 at-bats, and the lights went on. And George Springer has been a completely different player, and the Blue Jays pushed the button at the right moment to shuffle up the lineup. The Jays will be in Seattle on the weekend. A uh, bit of news out of Seattle uh, that doesn't involve the day-to-day ball club, but they did unveil a, a new statue outside of T-Mobile Park. It's for Edgar Martinez. It's pretty close to the Ken Griffey Jr. statue that they have out there. It's uh, a pretty impressive piece of work, and Bick and I were sort of throwing the idea around that of all the statues that are outside stadiums and ballparks, baseball it seems to have it the most locked down. There are some real iconic baseball statues, uh, much better than, than a lot of the other sports. In, in your travels around the big leagues, Ben, is there a statue that, uh, that really stands out for you that, that you feel like is a real part of the fabric of, of a ballpark? Yeah, you know what? Um, there are a couple uh, around our travels in the big leagues that'll jump out. And every ballpark that has historic element to it is worth checking out. You know, you got to go through the museum at Yankee Stadium. Uh, Museum Park, specifically, out beyond the outfield wall, is just so striped with history, you know, from one stadium to the next, obviously. It's different. Monument Park is different in New York. Uh, but when it, comes to, when it comes to specific statues, uh, lesser impressive than the one with Ken Griffey Jr. and that great follow-through uh, right there at the corner in front of T-Mobile Park. I mean, the backdrop is just beautiful, especially on a gorgeous day, right? Uh, the, the, the selfie poses that you can have with that statue alone, incredible. <laughs> um, you, go, you go to Baltimore, they've done a really nice job on Utah Street, out beyond the right field wall, and in between uh, Camden Yards and then the ballpark. But you walk through Utah Street, they've got some wonderful tributes and monuments. Uh, and also an underrated, uh, totally underrated um, statue for me is at Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia. They have done a great job and they've got Steve Carlton, you know, driving downward in that classic Steve Carlton uh, motion at the plate at, or uh, towards the plate uh, at the ballpark. And then they, they, they marked it off, you know, where you can go 60 feet, six inches and look out at Steve Carlton. That's another one, you know, that really jumped off the page for me. Um, you know, Fenway Park has, has as historic of a cathedral as that is, too. Uh, they've got some classics, absolute classics outside Fenway Park. And, um, you know, Joe DiMaggio is one of them. And he's kind of looking down at this little boy. And you think of how many kids have walked through Fenway Park wishing that they could be baseball players, let alone Red Sox in New England. And that's kind of like, uh, that in a sentence right there it's here you are here's what you could be you know and become one of the game's greatest players of all uh he is ben wagner ben thanks a lot for uh giving us some time we'll uh connect with you soon i think we may have uh all right ben thanks a lot uh and, and we'll connect with you soon here uh here on Sportsnet 650. You can check out the Jays game tonight on Sportsnet, and you can also follow uh, Ben Wagner at BenWag247. 
man, the uh, the trophy takes uh, coming into our text message inbox. And, and look, I I I've been thinking about this since you said it. I, I I'm gonna give you credit here. Pretty sure you're right on this one. And I think it's just because of the element of like how you connect the like like the statue to the moment. Like yeah. that Bob Yor one ba- that Batch mentioned. Like because it's got this like swooping, you know, can, I don't know the sculptor term for it, but like it, it's connected from his skate to the base of the thing, and it looks a little odd. There's some other ones like even the Magic Johnson ones and some basketball ones like holding the ball and it's all like in the action. It doesn't look as smooth as like the swing or a wind up of, of someone. Yeah, I mean the two that Ben brought up there, uh, the Griffey one is is iconic, and it's it's not a, a singular moment. It's something that he did often, and mm-hmm. the, the Steve Carlton detail is is cool because Steve Carlton was notoriously one of the most intimidating pitchers, and in that 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 you can go and, and and put yourself in the batter's box, and yes, it's it's a statue, so it's not quite the same, but just to to put yourself in that headspace is is cool, and it's something that that comes up up a lot around the Blue Jays is that uh, they don't have a you know a player statue outside the Rogers Center and there are, there are a bunch of of potential examples there whether it's you know Bautista Batflip uh, Joe Carter's uh, World Series clincher uh, maybe even Josh Donaldson uh, getting you know around third base to, to score a run against the Rangers in the playoffs now statues are a bit tougher to to do these days and Edgar Martinez gets one outside uh, of, of T-Mobile in Seattle, he's you know he, he's he's got his name on a on a taco stand there already. So he's got that kind of unassailable reputation uh, for how long he was with the Mariners, what he meant to that franchise and that community. Uh, but it's it's a fun discussion. You know, there's there's a few and, and the baseball ones. Uh, there's one that I mentioned to you earlier, Vic, with Juan Marco, uh, outside of the the park in San Francisco. Uh, longtime Giants player, which is just really cool, right on the water as well. Uh, just yeah, it's it's cool. Helps for the vibes and uh, that that nod toward the history of the game. Uh, there's there's a lot of parks in baseball that that do that uh, that do that pretty well. The Bautista one with the bat flip would be so tough, right? Because because you would want like the famous picture of yeah. like. It would, be, it would be closer to that Bobby Orr. There would have to be some weird yeah. sort of statue connection with the bat. Up in the air. Um, that's that's the that's you're right because the or video and photo in particular. Like if you're talking best photos, sports oh, photos of all time, unreal. Or, or is up there with the Muhammad Ali photo, right? Like those yeah. are those are possibly if you're doing a March Madness bracket, and they they could be one seeds and they very much could meet each other in the finals, right? So those those are tough. And the Bautista one for for what it meant to to the Blue Jays and the moment that it was in and his reputation and what it meant for his legacy. It's, it's probably, yeah, it's probably better as a photo. And that's, that's why the statue aspect is uh, it's a wrinkle. Uh, it's tough though. I will say that there is a, a pretty cool uh, Thierry Henry statue outside of the Emirates doing the, uh, the, 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 the slide, the famous slide that he did when he ran uh, all the way across the pitch after scoring a goal against Tottenham and uh, was taunting the fans. Uh, so that that's one that I personally enjoy. Hey, speaking of slides, uh, I'm sure you enjoyed it. Your boy Trey Turner yesterday. Do you see that? That was awesome. Yeah, real I, that cool. was that was so slick, man. And I I saw in the replies like everyone with their own favorite slides and like that. But that was unreal. Just the the smoothness. Uh, you know, kind of felt like a smooth criminal 
Uh, yes, yeah, it was a music video or something. Yeah. It was it was real real smooth and uh, I mean like what it's funny because in baseball a lot of times the slides that people celebrate are not really slides. You know, like I remember this is a, a bit of a, a deep reach, but the Chris Coughlin played for the Blue Jays in 2017 and he hurtled over the catcher to score. Right. So technically, you know, it's it's a slide because he he went into to home plate, but. This was as traditional a slide that, you know, little league coach would teach you. But just the, the real cool and amazing, obviously amazing lower half ability to just do a little, little pop-up and, and make it look like it's something out of a music video. You throw some cool beats under it and uh, people would be vibing. MTV, man, that, that, would have been, that would have been the thing 10, 15 years ago. Uh, Vic Nassar is real fair here. Uh, I, I had another statue point, but you, you distracted me with Thierry Henry. Uh, I'll, I'll figure it out when we're on the other side. I uh, might do some open boards as well, but I do want to talk about the Oliver Ekman Larson thing as well. Uh, he got mentioned in an athletic article today as far as worst contracts in the league. Uh, we'll uh, post it to you as well 650, 650, or 604, 280, 0650, if you got something to say about the comments from Elias Pedersen uh, as well. Bick Nazar, Israel Fair, will be back in a moment here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. Bick Nazar, Israel Fair, here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Bick and the Boss. No boss today, though. A lot going on. Keep your thoughts coming in. 650, 650 into our Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. You got thoughts on uh, what Elias Pedersen had to say? Share them. 650, 650. Want to get to something else, though. Uh, at the Athletic today, Dom Lushizen, uh putting up a piece uh, talking about the worst contracts in the NHL. Now that you know the the dust has settled uh, across the league uh, with the free agency, the trades have been made, extensions have been signed, you're getting ready to gear up for uh, training camps. We can talk about the worst contracts right now in the league, and uh, on the list actually was. Uh, a Vancouver Canuck, a newly acquired Vancouver Canuck, Oliver Ekman Larson. Now the contract uh, sitting at over eight million dollars. Now the Vancouver Canucks aren't uh, quite on the hook for all of it. Now, uh, obviously, we uh, we talk so much about the Vancouver Canucks uh, cap situation, uh, saving a little bit. Uh, matters and so it, it's 7.26 uh, on the cap for Vancouver, uh, but he obviously does make a little bit more uh, in the 8.25 range is what uh, Ekman Larson makes. It, it hasn't been a good contract, right? And you know the 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 circumstances in Arizona, I think, also play a contributing factor to this. He signed the deal, and if you're Arizona, you kind of had to give him the money to say. Look, we're a franchise that's always in upheaval, so much turnover, so much you know, discontent, whether it be from the ownership level and sorting that problem out and management turnover, and just kind of getting a foothold in the city. You kind of needed a stabilizing force, and maybe you pay a bit of a, a tax on that to say, OEL, we need you to stay here, we'll pay 0.25. So the right. contract hasn't lived up to its value in Arizona. I guess the question is, and I'm not refuting the you know the the list by Dom. It's just, my question is, um, can he live up to that value in Vancouver? 
the short answer is no, but that's, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a look at the list here. Mm-hmm. And six of the top eight, it's a top 10, uh, though there's 11 players named because uh, the two Nashville expensive contracts, Johansson and Duchesne, are uh, They're identical. at the hip. Yeah. The, it's, so six of the top eight are D-men. And, you know, Ekman Larson's a veteran. The, the top contract's Drew Doughty, and the second contract's Eric Carlson. Those are two guys that, in their primes, were at a higher level than Ekman Larson. They're also mm-hmm. paid more than what Ekman Larson makes. Uh, then there's Seth Jones, who's still young, and same with Josh Morrissey. Jones is ahead of Ekman Larson. Morrissey's behind Ekman Larson. And then the guy who's probably the best comparable is the player that's right behind Ekman Larson on the list, and that's Mark Edward Vlasic, who is a little bit more of a defensive player, I guess, than OEL, but it's not like OEL was an offensive superstar. Um, but he was, you know, a guy that had a really, really good reputation, uh, you know, Team Canada material, played on mm-hmm. some really good San Jose teams. They committed some big dollars to him, and, and his play has fallen off. Uh, if I had to pick between the two, which one uh, would I rather have on the Canucks? Uh, the answer is Ekman Larson. And then the other interesting part of that is uh, the, the comparables for Ekman Larson come with um, some players from Canucks past, actually. So this is putting Ekman Larson at his current value, uh, which is saying that, you know, he's, he's well overpaid and the type of player that he is closest to being is what Alex Edler was in 2016, 2017 and what Kevin Bieksa was in 09-10. So that's, you know, still pretty much prime Kevin Bieksa and still useful Alex Edler, though not what he was earlier in his career. Uh, those players on the open market would not have gotten what OEL got, but still provided value. And that's where it's going to be. As we have that cap conversation, and the cap conversation overtakes the conversation about what a player actually brings to uh, the equation. What, what kind of player is Ekman Larson at this point? It's been trending downward, and the Canucks are definitely hoping that that new environment rejuvenates him and puts him in a place where he can be something closer to the player that he was. And I mean, like would Canucks fans take 2016, 17, Alex Edler in his level of play from Ekman Larson, even if it's at a bit of an advanced cap hit. Yeah. That's an interesting way of framing it. Cause you'd be paying what an extra mill and change from what Alex something Edler like was. That, right. It would have been, right. Alex was around six. So yeah, that's over. interesting. Um, you know, I, I, I guess my question too, and, and, and it raised my eyebrows obviously to say, or, or the reason I want to talk about this is, you know, the environment in Vancouver, you would hope is better for Oliver Ekman Larson than it was in Arizona. Just, you know, talent and style of play opportunity, you know, reinvigorated. Obviously we've talked about, can we see a better version of him? And, at 7.26, can he, you know, kind of change the narrative on what he is? And I, I, I don't, you know, I, I kind of disagree when you're talking about him being an offensive superstar. Like, this is a guy who's consistently put up 40 points from the blue line. That's not easy. Now, he's not in the, you know, Zach Rowinski, Quinn Hughes phase. Uh, well, I was making the comparison to Eric Carlson. Okay, like, sure, sure, sure. It's an Eric Carlson, and he wasn't even Drew Doughty, who are ahead of him on the list and got bigger contracts than him. 
Sure. Okay. That he would be closer to Seth Jones. What Seth Jones is is now, and Seth Jones has become a divisive player, where mm-hmm. analytics think that he's barely third pairing, and the you know calling it the scouting community at large is 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 an overreach. But hockey people, a big portion of them, still think that he is top pair, number one quality. What Eric Carlson and Drew Doughty were in the prime of their careers, and, and you know uh, obviously. Uh, with the contract that he was given in Chicago, it, it shows that like that level of is the expectation that people think he is, and, and that's why he landed himself on that list. But with with Ekman Larson, is I, I'm curious if the new environment and maybe improved play, and that's what we're all waiting for here, right? Like Ekman Larson in Arizona was not full value for his contract. I want to see what happens in an environment here, you know, with Elias Pettersson, with Queen Hughes. On that power play, if if he gets first line minutes, and if he doesn't, that you know obviously lends itself to saying you're you're kind of overpaying for second power play uh, minutes. But I do think you'll get an improved version. So the question is, can he get himself off of the top ten list? And how many of these guys in there uh, can you say in a year from now they're not going to be on this conversation? Because like Jeff Skinner. He's in this conversation. He's not going anywhere. He essentially has to put up, what, 40 goals for a couple of more years to say, oh, yeah, it's fine. It's not a big deal. Like, that is a brutal contract, and it hasn't worked out, and it's not like they're going anywhere either. Mark Edward Vlasic, you mentioned his name. I feel like we kind of know where he is at this stage in his career, and how much like, how much work can he actually do to change the conversation of you know, how value – uh, that style of player is because it, it just like you're you're paying elite money for penalty killers essentially, and you're not really gonna be able to you know save face on a contract that's that that expensive. Uh, and, and Ryan Johansson is he at a stage in his career where we can't flip uh, the narrative on him and and say you know. $8 million is too much for a guy that's not producing enough money, especially on a team that's kind of in transition themselves. So there are some players that look at this and they say they're going to be on there for sure. Tyler Sagan's name was on there. And, you know, given – I get it. It's it's a lot of money. It's just shy of $10 million. But, he, like, he is a guy that can put up some points. Now, Dallas doesn't necessarily play that way, but like that can be a responsible player that's not even that far removed from having a nice little playoff run as well. Yeah, the Sagan one is that uh, prior to the, the the run to the cup final, the, his numbers and Ben's numbers really plummeted, and he didn't really have much of an opportunity this year uh, to, to fix that in any way. Uh, I mean, he he is, I guess, somewhat in the conversation with with Johansson. Uh, the Duchesne one is also, you know, real, mm-hmm. really tough uh, for a guy that sort of like Jeff Skinner consistently put up big numbers, had – goal scoring upside which adds some extra you know millions to, to a player's contract we could talk just points if, if a player can score then all of a sudden that that contract goes to to a place and if, if the goal scoring disappears then that that and, and that player is not bringing much value in, in any other way uh, from that list I do think that there is there's reason to believe uh, that that Ekman Larson while maybe not providing value at the level that he's being paid. And even if it's just what the Canucks are on the hook for, uh, can, can still be a useful player. But when you get into a cap system and you get into the flat cap that we're dealing with now, you can only afford maybe one, 
maybe two of those on a team when you're trying to round out the roster and, and you need young players to step up and cheap players to come in on, you know, show, show good contracts and, and the like. It's, it's a bet. It's similar to the bet that was made on Tyler Myers, though I do think in, look, I've been on the station enough and seen the texts, whether it's during the day or on pregame, on postgame. Mm-hmm. There are definitely people that follow the Canucks that think that Tyler Myers is a good player. My guess is that those same people think that Ekman Larson is a better player than Tyler Myers. So that would be my guess, that if, if someone is out there saying Tyler Myers is a good player, I'm not saying that these people are always saying that he's, he's paid at, at the, the right level, at the equivalent level, but they believe that he is a good, valuable player. We could argue whether that's, you know, a number three, a number four, a number five. I would believe that those people think that Ekman Larson's better player than Tyler Myers. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's a fair guess uh, to make. And you know, we're getting some responses here, 650, 650, into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Um, are Tavares and Marner on that worst contracts list? They should be. They are not, not even the honorable mentions. I think the Tavares one is a lot closer to this list than we realize. Because, look, this is all predicated on playoff success, and this matters. You can't just say, hey, like, he gets X amount of points, and that's that's okay and over the course of 82 games. Part of this does matter for the context of the playoffs, and you've got to incorporate that that element into the conversation as much as, Hey, this is just getting value out of the deal. You know, to me, John Tavares, we we're having that conversation about top 20 players or whatever uh, earlier about Elias Pedersen. Like John Tavares to me is not a top 20 center and he gets paid as one of the five best players in the league. That's a problem. And when you start looking at how you build out your team and extracting value elsewhere on your roster, it becomes a bit of an issue to say how much how, how do we fill up this deficit elsewhere in the roster and and Toronto is you know at one point we looked at them and said well they've done a good job of filling out the bottom part of the roster and now after a couple of failed seasons we start looking at it and thinking are they doing enough to maximize this window that they have that they got to get some some wins going here uh, as you know it's three seasons left on Austin Matthews before he gets to UFA. That's not a lot of runway, and we don't know what's going to happen at that stage. Correct, and the, the Tavares contract is is one that people are, are definitely going to have their eyes on, but you can look at, I mean, it, it is interesting. If you look at, at the list that Don Lachizan has put together, it is, by and large, players that signed big contracts when they had expectations, and their teams also fell off. So, and, and to an extent that, you know, Toronto, as disappointing as the playoffs were, and as it seems make or break as this season's going to be, aren't at the drop-off level that the Kings have had, or the Sharks have had, or even the Predators mm-hmm. have had. And in the, the Jones contract, that's uh, a new team, a team that also had a fall-off. Um, and that's, that, that makes that conversation interesting about the environment for a player and especially the top two guys on that list, Doughty and Carlson, the thought would be that pretty much anywhere they were going to be in the primes of their careers, they were going to be able to do whatever they wanted and have a lot of success. I mean, we saw Eric Carlson drag an okay Senators team to the conference finals. 
we saw Drew Doughty win the Stanley Cup and play all of these minutes. So, and I think with defensemen in particular, and that's why the ekman Larson conversation is interesting and why there's going to be a ton of talk about the matchups that he takes on, who his partner is, the kind of minutes that he's playing, because that's going to say a lot about uh, what the Canucks' expectations are for him, and then we, we will see how he responds to that. Yeah, look at this list, it's... You mentioned the the part of them, them being D men, and I I do wonder too. Like, like Drew Doughty's won Stanley Cups. He's been on Team Canada. He's won Olympic gold multiple times. And I look at the LA Kings. Like they've been bad. Like how much, how much can Drew Doughty actually impact the game when, you know, he he's had the caliber of players around him, uh, and and as LA starts to build this out, and like the. That's kind of what I'm wondering. Which of these players can actually get themselves off of this list and which ones are stuck on here forever? Like, to me, Vlasic is stuck on this list. As LA improves and they start getting Byfield and Turcotte and this team starts to look a bit uh, livelier, you know, Drew Doughty's only 31 years old. I get it's $11 million for a long time. It's an excessive contract until 2027. But you can approximate pretty close to that level of value as the team around him also improves. And I, uh, that's my concern and my biggest question when it comes to Ekman Larson. We haven't seen him in Vancouver. This is a better spot for him than it is in Arizona. He's going to be playing with... Vancouver's second line should be better than Arizona's first line last year. That matters in the context of this conversation. Sure. Sure, but what... Like, what do you think? And if you're playing the optimistic side, like, what's reasonable for the matchups that Ekman Larson should be taking on in the minutes? And at this point, where do you think the partner is is part of that conversation? Because that's the thing with the metrics that Dom uses. Uh, it, it it doesn't necessarily take that into account when it's doing the calculation, but sure. certainly playing with better players is going to lead to better results. Yeah, I, look, that's part of the conversation too. Of, of you know, from at least my understanding is, how do you isolate this this player on his own, and what value do they bring? Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, then you know, suppose it's also the issue with with hockey in general, right? If you're on the ice for 28 minutes uh, with four other guys, as far as the context of a game, you you only have so much influence over the game. Now we want players to obviously do as much as they can, but you know, with with the nature of the game, there is only so much you're going to be able to do. I, I don't necessarily look at, and look, I'm looking at the comparables right now for Ekman Larson. I don't look at him as like a Nick Holden type player who's listed as one of the comparables here. Right. Um, like that's, that's exceptionally low. Nick Holden's a totally fine player, but it's 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 where I get caught up sometimes in falling in line with exact numbers to say we're going to make exact declarations of what this player can be like because there is more to it than just the, the 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 bottom line to it. Yeah, no, that's how I like to use those numbers as well, and I follow baseball quite closely. Baseball has a lot of numbers like that, especially for pitchers, where you look at something like FIP. And that helps at least put a pitcher in, in a tier somewhere. It, but it's, sure. not, it's not saying, you know, this pitcher is by far better than this person. It's taking a certain number of, of factors and 
ignoring some circumstances and at least adding to, to the conversation. And so it's a fair conversation to have that Ekman Larson is not the player that he was five years ago and is not the player that, that signed that contract. But there are some exit ramps before, yeah, you know, like he, he is, this is what he is going to be, even if, so what, what the model says is that last year, he was a replacement level player. He was a player that you could have based on, again, this is removing a lot of the circumstances, mm-hmm. but it is saying that a team could have taken Nick Holden, the Coyotes in this case, and put him in Ekman Larson's spot and gotten the same results when it comes to uh, overall team play. Goals for, goals against, the possession numbers, the shots for, the shots against, and, and the stuff like that. Uh, Taxi Boy texting in, 650-650. The problem is teams are paying for potential instead of by the show-me results. Here's the thing, is we've seen so many more contracts that are the inverse of that, right? Like, he, even on this list, like, Mark Edward Vlasic has been getting a legacy contract. The, the, the famous one is Bobby Holik of, hey, this is what you did, and here, we're giving you that contract. The, the free agency is littered with, hey, this is what you've done in your career, so you've earned this, and we're happy to give it to you, even though the old team wasn't willing to give it to you, and boy, we certainly regret it. Like, the Louis Erickson contract is rooted in exactly that. It's, we're paying you for your career, not what we think you can be. And that's why we're, we're, having, like, we're having so many more conversations nowadays about aging curves and when you want to pay your guys and what sure. matters in the length of the contract. And to be honest, like part of the conversation of these players taking like their second contracts being you know three- or four-year deals, it's alarming because you don't want to walk them to UFA. But it does kind of make some sense from a team point of view of, hey, we can re-sign them long-term at that right point so they're out of their contract their, their third contracts at age 32, 33, and then we're done and dusted. Rather than doing the, hey, getting it to 28, giving you your long contract, and then ending up on this like yes. this. Yeah, the, the math is changing, uh, and it, it's having an impact on how RFAs are negotiating. It's having an impact on how players are perceiving themselves. Though I will say, and this is not an optimistic take, on the Ekman Larson situation, if you make the Louis Erickson comparison, uh, and he, you know his numbers were still pretty good when he signed that contract with the Canucks. But a big part of the sell was if he comes here and he plays with the Sedins, and it's going to be a lot of the stuff that we are hearing about Ekman Larson. Mm-hmm. This, though, I mean Erickson was coming from a team that was a competitive team uh, in Boston versus uh, <laughs> what the, the Coyotes have been the last couple of years and. There is something to be said for that. I don't know what the percentage is. I don't know if it's enough to just to use Dom's model as a baseline again to, to make Ekman Larson go from a zero win player to a, a one win player. Um, I don't know. I don't. Uh, I, we'll have to see. That'll be a real fascinating part of it, and uh, it'll be you know, interesting to, to watch Ekman Larson integrate himself uh, to to the room, to, to the community, to, to playing on this team, and, and and having this opportunity because in his comments. After he was traded, he acknowledged that he hasn't played mm-hmm. to the level that he wants to play at. And just to be clear, uh, I'm not trying to make a case that this is a good contract or anything. Like, the trade was a risk. The contract is a risk. I'm okay with living within that risk. The, the, the spirit of this conversation is, can you get yourself off of this list? And can we reevaluate this in a year's time once we've seen Ekman Larson play in the Vancouver Canucks and say, you know what? 
bit harsh to say he's one of the ten worst contracts as far as the value he's providing. I'd like to re- re- you know reconsider this conversation uh, in a year's time and, and see how it goes. But what we need to do is uh, get through the regular season and, and see what Oliver Ekman Larson brings to the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, we're going to have a conversation about another Canucks D-man. We've had uh, plenty uh, already this week. Oli Olevi uh, signing that one-year deal uh, for league minimum. Well, Oli Olevi is going to be joining the People's Show later today. Dan Riccio, Satyar Shah uh, coming up pretty soon. Also, Adnan Verk going to join uh, live from uh, heaven or Iowa. Uh, are, are are you geeked up for this uh, Field of Dreams game tomorrow? I, I am actually looking forward to watching it. Uh, yeah, I'm man. a fan of the movie. Don't tell Dan Riccio, but I'm a fan of the movie, and uh, I think it'll be cool. A fan of the movie? I'm kind of disappointed. Look, we can't all have the high uh, aesthetic standards that you do, uh, Guy Ritchie <laughs> super fan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I, I like Field of Dreams. I, I do. It, it, it's it, the book before I saw the movie, even as, oh. as as a young person. And I really liked the book, and then I found out it was a movie. And this is, I'm talking like I was like, you know, eight, nine, ten years old. And I, I, when I saw a movie at ten years old, it blew my mind. So there's there's that nostalgia factor. It's the way that a lot of people feel about Space Jam. And I've rewatched Space Jam, and the Michael Jordan version of Space Jam is not good. But there's the nostalgia factor, and Field of Dreams is at least a coherent movie, for the Field most part. Field of Dreams, it's an average movie with a perfect ending, and it, it, it leaves you feeling good, and that's why it's like it's worth rewatching. So it's you want to totally- put the ending of Field of Dreams at the end of No Country for Old Men? Hundred percent, hundred percent. If you could, yeah, if if you could get the value of the ending of Field of Dreams versus No Country for Old Men, No Country for Old Men would be one of the best movies of all time, if not the best. But the ending's terrible, and it gets lost in the conversation. <laughs> it, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Field of Dreams, that's why like an event like today or tomorrow is so great, because it, it, leaves, it leaves a good taste in everyone's mouth. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to Adnan Verk about that uh, coming up on The People Show with Dan Riccio, Satya Shah, on the way here on Sportsnet 650.